the summer of football. All you can ask for is another opportunity to play this game. It burns in me. On ESPN 1000. We don't know how many we got. I don't know how many I got. Make it count, boys. Holmes flushed out again. Turning the corner. Fires downfield. Caught. Touchdown. Only Mahomes. You throw the score and run to win. Here's Saquon Buckley. The summer of football at eight. Here's a quick throw to Miller. Good throw. Touchdown. Fake to Armstrong. Run. Book five. Book to the end zone. Touchdown. Burrow's got time. Launching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown. Terrence Marshall. The summer of football with Jonathan Hood. Yeah. That's my dog. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Indeed, it is the summer of football. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Every night at 8 o'clock, we talk something football, something pro, something college, something fantasy, something gambling. You never know when it comes to football. Tonight, we talk to a two-time Super Bowl champion. We talk to a man who uh, covers college football for the Big Ten Network, it is the great Howard Griffith, and he joins me, Jonathan Hood, here on ESPN 1000. Howard, as always, I appreciate your time. Hey, I appreciate you allowing me to come hang out and spend a few minutes with you. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, need, I can't wait for football. Whenever, whenever football is going to look like, I can't wait to see what football is going to bring. I'll start with you when the Bears first before I ask you about some college football questions. Okay. So mm-hmm. if you are an NFL player and – uh, you are having meetings through Zoom, and you really don't have that same hands-on approach with coaches and your teammates. How much of a disconnect is that for you? Yeah, you got to get ready from a physical standpoint, but what about that lack of communication face-to-face with someone during this time? I think you can probably be able to deal with the not having a face-to-face, at least being uh, the interpersonal connection and you're in the same room. I think Zoom will be able to to take care of that. But I just wonder with, with not having OTAs, with not having to be able to go out and, and work out with your teammates. And, and even if you want to do what Tom Brady is doing uh, and some of the other players are doing around the country are trying to bring guys together and work out, it's, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. So we're, there's still some, some health concerns by doing so. So I think if you're, if you're a team that's, uh, the second, not installing a new offense, not installing a new defense. I think you're in, and you'll probably be in pretty good shape uh, as far as the players being able to retain uh, the the system from the year before. But if you're trying to install something new, uh, and this goes for the college and the pro game, uh, you're going to have your hands full. You're a new head coach stepping in, trying to trying to uh, bring in your system and get everybody on the same page. I, I think they're going to have. Uh, a few more issues than they normally would just because of what we're going through right now. I'm also a little concerned about what kind of football we're going to see college and pro because it was announced no hall of fame game and then no hall of fame. Uh, That uh, is concerning right out of the box. Yeah, I I think, listen, I I think there are a lot of, I know there are a lot of smart people at the pro football level and the college level that are trying to, to figure this out. And I think the challenge is, yeah, you can play football. You absolutely can play. But how do you do it safely? And I think you look at the NFL, they have some ways that they'll be able to do it. I think they'll look at what baseball, hockey's doing 
obviously what the NBA is doing, but that'll have to be an extended time. So it'll be different than those sports that, that are in playoff mode. So they can put their players in a bubble. It, it's going to be costly to be able to do it, but they're generating the revenue that will allow them to, to make sure that they can practice best practices and, and keeping the players in, in a safe place. You know, on the college side, you know, there, there are a lot of questions that have to be answered uh, about how they're going to ultimately be able to take care and, and keep the players safe and whether or not, you know, all I know the colleges have said we're all, you know, going to have in-person class, in-person classes this upcoming um, school year, but there's going to be some virtual learning as well. So where, how do they balance that? I'm sure they're trying to figure it out, modeling different ideas as far as travel is concerned. How many tests a week are players going to get? What is the deadline to when you can give a player a test and allow him to play? What happens if a player tests positive? There are a lot of questions I think that, you know, not only the fans, but I think parents also want to get a better idea of how things are going to be handled. Uh, and to that end, as we talked to Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network on the Corona Hotline with Jonathan Hood, as we do summer of football on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app, to that end, we knew that whatever was going to happen in the South, it was going to open, right? I mean, uh, yeah. we're talking about Power Five, non-Power Five conferences. The South wants wants to open up, and they want to be able to have their college football. But I'm wondering overall what the NCAA's plans are going to be for COVID-19 and players because I've been reading just like you have over the last – two, three weeks about a lot of teams uh, with players with COVID-19. That's something that we knew was going to happen. I just wonder what the NCAA thinks about that. I wouldn't be as concerned about the NCAA. I think ultimately this is going to come down to a conference call that are going to have to be made. Uh, and the reason I say that is because if, just hypothetically, if you're Illinois and you're testing three times a week, and you're getting ready to play a program that's not a Big Ten program, and they test once a week, and what's the difference in the testing that you're using, the test that you're using and we're using? But I'm going to bring your team to campus. I think there's so many there's so many variables that are in there that I think ultimately conferences are going to have to decide this is what we're doing, and we're going to move forward this way. I think it's going to be very difficult you know, for, for teams to be able to travel. It, it just, not that I don't want to see teams travel and, and be able to make those trips and see some of the great games that are on the on the docket this year, but I just, I don't know how it's done and done safely. And again, that could just be me not having the information and the information not being put out there, but maybe there's a plan. I don't know, but right now, I don't necessarily see how you can make sure that these young people are going to be safe and keep them healthy. And don't forget that there's a lot of money that also has to be spent to be able to have, uh, to be able to really take care of these players. As we get ready for the season, Howard, uh, the Big Ten, once again, looks deep to me. They looked deep to me last year and the same thing this year. Of course, everything surrounds Ohio State and Michigan at the top, but what are your overall thoughts on, on the Big Ten coming into this season? You know, I'm really anxious to see uh, what Minnesota's able to do this year. They lost their offensive coordinator to Penn State, Chiraca. He's now at Penn State running their show. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting team to, to watch. Looking at a team like Purdue, who has 
probably one of the most explosive players in all of college football. Rondell Moore, who, who really was injured all of last year, really didn't get a chance to see a lot of him. But he's a guy that, that's a true difference maker. So with some players like that, I would tell you this about Ohio State, and I don't think many people talk about this because I just think it kind of flies under the radar. But Ryan Day, this is going to be the first time in, I believe, six to seven years that he's been able to work with the same quarterback for two years. So you see what he's been able to do with the quarterbacks, and you look at what Dwayne Haskins was able to do. You look at Fields last year, just talking about the Ohio State players. Now he's going to have Fields in this offense once again for a second year. And I'm telling you, I don't think Fields was anywhere close in my opinion, to being able to maximize the skill set that he has. And that's what's really scary about this Ohio State team. That At the quarterback position, they can make a lot more improvements. And he played well. He really did last year. But you could still see that there's still so much room for growth in his game. And uh, Ohio State's going to be banking on that because they're going to be loaded once again on both sides of the football. I, uh, I'm interested in what the running game looks like with J.K. Dobbins now in the league. Master T only had, yeah. uh, you know, had some run, you know, had a, a taste of it as a sophomore, uh, as a, now as a sophomore, and he had a, he's banged up a little bit this spring. Mm-hmm. I looked forward to seeing how he's able to replenish some of that offensive firepower running the football that they're going to be missing now with Dobbins. Yeah, they got some dudes. And that's the one thing that, that Ohio State, you talk about the elite programs in, in college football, and Ohio State's obviously one of them. Uh, and, and they're also elite because they do very elite when it comes to recruiting. I, I, you, most people might think, well, duh. Yeah, it only makes sense. They're a great team. But doesn't necessarily mean they're great recruiters. They have, truly have great recruiters on that staff, and, and they're going to continue to be loaded. They've got some backs there, and I think Teague's going to be the lead guy. But they've got guys that are going to be able to try to push – uh, for more playing time. And, and listen, you need two backs. You're not going to just be able to run one out there. So they're gonna, they've are gonna they got some young guys. They've got a grad transfer that, that came in, I believe, from Oklahoma uh, that's going to be able to also give them some help. So I think they're going to be in a in good position. Another team, I'm going to tell you, I don't think many people will talk about is Penn State. Penn State, uh, with Micah Parsons uh, playing middle linebackers, another one of those players, in my mind, is a, light, is a lot like Fields. Uh, still has so much upside, so much opportunity, so much talent that he hasn't reached that ceiling yet that he's going to be a true difference maker uh, for them. And, and I think they're going to be able to to be able to take advantage of having the off, new offensive coordinator coming over. But remember what, what I said earlier, you know, if you're installing a new offense, we probably really won't see a lot of that from Penn State this year. Those changes, depending upon how practice is able to be run, if they can, if they're able to put the entire playbook in. Otherwise, I would look for them to kind of mimic some of the things that they were doing last year because you want to make sure that these players are playing fast and not really having to think about what they need to do, new, new assignments. So it's going to be important that the offense coordinator comes in and learns their lingo just in case there's not enough time for him to implement his full system for whatever reason. Maybe a step back for the Nittany Lions this season, Howard, and maybe two steps forward the next season because of so much turnover. Yeah, 11 new starters there. and yeah. the, You mentioned the coaching staff, right? New coaches, new starters. You mentioned the new offensive coordinator. you got two, um, two specialists. 
So, I mean, it's still going to be a good team because I yeah. I believe in that team with James Franklin's staff, but yeah. it is an undertaking when you have to try to kind of reevaluate what you have and then move forward. Well, we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And, they're, again, a fun team to, to, to really watch because they've done, I, I think, as good as you know anyone else in the league, maybe just a step behind what Ohio State has been able to do from a recruiting standpoint. When you talk about being able to stockpile talent, now it's time for those guys to be able to step up and, and try to make a difference. The challenge, obviously, is you know they've got to play Ohio State, uh, they've got to play Michigan, and you know Michigan's another team that I think you know they lose Shea Patterson this year, but with Dylan McCaffrey being able to step in, step into that and that position, I think they're going to have some opportunities to be a lot better as an offense as well because they're going to have a quarterback battle there too. Interesting. You give an evaluation to some of these teams, but you didn't mention Michigan. I swear to you there. <laughs> uh, so let's let's start a rumor. Are you ready for this? Not even a rumor. Like it's it's a it's a fact. But I'm going to twist this for you. Okay, you ready? Okay, I'm so, I'm ready. Let's go. So th- there's two big stories in the Big Ten today. A, a decommit, Devontae Smith, the corner was supposed to go to Ohio State. He's going to go someplace else. That's mm-hmm. one story. But the other story is Michigan, twenty six million dollar deficit to their athletic department. Uh-huh. Because, and I, I don't know if that's because of COVID nineteen or whatever or whatever cutbacks they have. Now I know that Michigan's got plenty of money, but that twenty six million dollar deficit. I wonder uh, what does that do for Harbaugh's program, and if he's upset with that. Let's just say <laughs> that he's not. Say for instance, he's there's some things taken away from his football program. Now I don't want him to leave college football. I don't want him to stay with Michigan because I think it matters. But man, I wonder. I wonder what Harbaugh thinks of that because that might be the the first step of him saying, "Nah, I'm done with this." <laughs> oh, hoodie, we're not going to get that rumor started. We're not. Come on. I, I just think, yeah, I think one of the things that you're going to see, I, I think obviously there are going to be some deficits throughout college athletics because of the budgets, some of the budgets that they have. But I want you to think about this: uh, of the 130, the 130 teams, Division One teams. They're, they're probably fewer than 25 that are actually operating in the black. Uh, and that, that was before, you know, pre-pandemic. So you would have to believe that most teams this year are going to, most universities are going to take uh, a pretty huge hit this year, particularly when you look at what's going to happen with, uh, possibly happen, I should say, with attendance and not being able to have these uh, full stadiums that hold 100,000 plus. Uh, you know, those are going to have effects. Uh, you know, are people going to want to, you know, rather have that experience and be able to have a great experience at home as opposed to maybe coming to the, to the stadium if there's some, some questions about safety and their health. So it's going to be fascinating to see what some of these numbers are and the way some of these programs operate. But I can tell you this, don't worry about Michigan. <laughs> They're going to be all right. They <laughs> may report the deficit. But there are people that are lined up to give money to, to the University of Michigan and, and make sure that that football program is doesn't miss a beat. So lastly, you're just going to skip over Illinois? You're just not going to talk about Lovey? I mean, <laughs> no, you, we, we, you had, we hadn't gotten there. You, you didn't give me <laughs> – you didn't tee me up for a question for that. <laughs> but you, you didn't tee me up. <laughs> Wait a minute now. The first bur- bowl burst is 2014. There's a depth issue now. I mean, it, it, he's had a couple of good recruiting classes, clearly, right? And, but mm-hmm. here's what I need to know. Are these players going to be healthy enough? Because he had a lot of injuries last year. I mean, that's, the, that's 
part of the issue with, you know, our student athletes not being able to have having this three months that, that they were at home with their parents for the most part. There were some uh, special special circumstances around the country where you had players that actually were able to stay on campus during uh, this time before uh, voluntary workouts started. But that's one of the things that was a question. I mean, how how do you make sure that they were getting the medical attention that they needed to make sure that they were on track to get there? But I think the good thing is um, they didn't have spring ball for anyone. So, you know, players were able to rest up. Now, coaches obviously didn't want that. And I, I guess the diehard fans will want teams to be able to, to know what's going on in spring to have a better idea. But I think the one thing, one of the things that's going to come out of this is people are going to be able to uh, realize that, well, maybe we can work a little bit smarter. Maybe we don't have to have all the wear and tear on the body that also that, that comes with having spring ball. Uh, you know, the NFL draft was was fascinating this year to really watch them and, and also for, for them. So I think everyone's figuring out or has figured out that maybe there's a different way that we can do things and still be successful. Now, to get back to Illinois, yes. Illinois has got to stay healthy, right? They've got to stay healthy. You're right. They still, you know, the roster is still not where I think the coaching staff ultimately wants it to be, so they have to keep doing that. Uh, you know, they're, they're dialed in with recruiting. They've got a couple of commits uh, over the last week or so. So, you know, it's, it's one of those situations that they can have some of these transfers that have come in uh, – really be able to help the team, and that's what they got to be able to do. they got to score points. You're talking about outscoring people. You're talking about the, the West is, uh, you know, teams aren't going anywhere. Wisconsin's not going anywhere. Iowa's not going anywhere. You know, Purdue, we've talked about them. Nebraska's still there but, but hasn't made the push that so many people thought they would. So Illinois has an opportunity. It's about trying to crawl into the top half of the West to get into that position so that then you can take the next step and, and try to win the West. I'm not saying that, that they can't win it this year, but it's an uphill battle for them to be able to do that this year. They have to have a lot of things go right for them. But they know they can win. They went out and beat the Badgers last year, and I know that was a big uh, boost for the program and a signature win for Lovey since he's uh, been at Illinois. All right, my friend. I'm glad you spent some time. I, I would ask you about Northwestern because Cats fans are saying, "What about us?" Well, Howard, when I have you on closer to the you know start of the season, then I'll talk to you about the Cats because I can't ask you about the Cats until they figure out the quarterback situation. I don't know hey, if it's hey, Marty. Ramsey. I don't know if I don't know if it's TJ hey, Green. I don't know no. if it's Hunter Johnson. I have no idea. Hoodie, I just told you it's Peyton Who? Ramsey, the transfer from Indiana. If if you were if you if you I, I think. If you wanted to, to try to handicap this thing, I, I think he's going to end up being the guy. You know, the reason he left Indiana is because they've got a talented guy that had some injuries. But I think he is the perfect guy for that system right now. But we have to see it. He didn't have spring to, to, to develop in that offense or anything like that. But I really like his chances. What about 12-year senior T.J. Green? He's been there. <laughs> <laughs> he's been there. He, he, listen, he's been there. And, and look, one thing Pat figures out when, when he has a down year, uh, he, he figures out a way to bounce back. He's going to have a different offense coordinator this year for the first time in a long time. Um, so Pat's making some changes, and, and I know – you know, he's dialed into that thing, but you know, they've got to figure it out on the offensive side. They've got to be able, again, they've got to be able to score points because that's what this league has turned into 
uh, a league that's going to be high-powered and spread people out and score points. And that's one of the things that really ultimately got this Northwestern team rolling to begin with way back when, after they started, when they started to spread things out with Randy Walker. All right, man. I'll talk to you again when we get closer to the season. I, I don't. I, we'll see. I mean, because you'll change your tune if if there's a different quarterback in there. You will give me a a different analysis on Northwestern. You'll give me absolutely. Some I will. I yeah. will. I mean, what do you mean? You have to be flexible. You got to be flexible. You know, you got to be able to pivot on a minute, on a moment's notice when you see something change. You can't be afraid to change your mind. You've taught me well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hoodie. Stay safe, my man. Two-time Super Bowl champion Howard Griffith with us on the Corona Hotline for Summer of Football right here on ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. We'll hear from Jesse Rogers on Major League Baseball and the Cubs coming up at 9 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So glad that uh, you are with me here on this uh, Thursday night. We'll have Tales from the Hood in our next segment as we get a chance to preview UFC Fight Night that's going to be on ESPN. So we'll hear from our combat sports expert, Ray Flores. He's going to be with us uh, coming up uh, at... um, at 8.30 right here on ESPN 1000. One of the major concerns, I think, for uh, many is trying to figure out when sports returns, like baseball, basketball, hockey, when these sports do return, will they be able to be on the playing surface for the long haul? Because COVID-19 is no joke. We continue to see in our social media on a daily basis how many people have COVID-19 or have passed away because of COVID-19. This pandemic, there's a reason why they call it a pandemic. This is something that's real. And I always think that since mid-March, when there was talk of trying to be able to bring sports back, that there are some owners that are tempting fate. There's some that don't believe in in a pandemic or don't believe in sickness. Perfect example is Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon, who rules the world wrestling entertainment and has ruled WWE for a long time as the chairman of the board for that company. It's interesting. Like I've heard stories over the years where Vince does not believe in sick. Like the idea of just being sick. If someone sneezes in a uh, meeting, a board meeting with Vince, he gives them the stink eye. Like, what? what is that? You're, are you saying that you're sick? Like, he does not believe in sick because he's one of these crazy guys that has two or three hours of sleep who's never sick, a workoutaholic and also a workaholic on top of that. So he doesn't believe in sick. And this is why currently at WWE, there are wrestlers that don't have masks or personnel that they don't have masks, and they are in Orlando, Florida. Um, All Elite Wrestling, run by Tony Khan. Tony Khan is someone who uh, is the son of Shad Khan. Tony Khan runs uh, All Elite Wrestling. 
And uh, his father is the owner for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He runs All Elite Wrestling and also one of the soccer uh, teams overseas. And he doesn't have a lot of his personnel with masks. And they're in Jacksonville, Florida. So just giving you a little taste, a little flavor of this, right, where some just don't believe in masks. Well, I tell you what, if there's no protection, then how do we know that the athletes are going to be healthy? And will they be able to be healthy enough to participate, right? Will they be healthy enough to be able to be in the sports that we enjoy? Gino Oriema is the head coach for UConn Women. He was on with uh, Golik and Wingo, and the longtime basketball coach for UConn's women's team says that the fall sports calendar hinges on college football. If college football wasn't a $4 billion or whatever it is yep. uh, operation, they would have canceled fall sports already. So everything humanly possible, I'm sure, is going to be done to protect college football. Uh, so having said that, my my confidence is uh, is okay until something happens that – Severely impacts college football, and then all bets are off. Some thoughts from Brian Winhorst, who covers um, the NBA for ESPN, uh, says that teams that he's talking to, as he was on Golik and Wingo, says that teams are not concerned about the virus right now. Because they want to find the players who are sick right now so that they can get them treated and try to eradicate the coronavirus from the teams before they go into the bubble. But it's still not uh, very settling. It's still upsetting to see all of this and all of these players who are surprised that they have it and then are worried. And this is really a function of two things. Number one, obviously you have to have the bubble be safe from an outbreak. If there's an outbreak, this will not last. If a team has a number of players get sick while in the bubble, that is going to be a threat to the whole thing. So some thoughts there where teams are not concerned about the virus right now. Well, my suggestion is this, is that it's one thing to not be concerned about the virus, but you have to be concerned about the athlete and their health. This is when we get into the conversation of how some that run sports teams look at players as interchangeable parts. Oh, this person's sick. Move the drill. Just find someone else. And there's got to be care when it comes to the athlete. I just think it's really um, disheartening that there are some Dana White, Vince McMahon, and probably some owners in some of the sports that we watch on a regular basis that couldn't care less about the athlete. I know some that look at athletes as just, you know, just he's a great athlete. She's a great athlete. Okay. Well, there's going to be other great athletes, but still, I think there should be some care when it comes to these athletes, when it comes to the COVID-19. I just think that some sports are tempting fate. Knowing that there are the numbers continue to go up, I know some believe, don't don't believe in COVID nineteen, believing that's just um, you know, COVID nineteen is a the, is theoretical. No, when you start seeing the bodies start to stack up, you know that COVID nineteen is real. So I, I don't believe it's theoretical. I believe it's real, and it just makes me wonder about sports moving forward. Can COVID nineteen be so devastating that it'll shut down the other sports that we love? We always seen it once. Will it happen again? We'll have Tales from the Hood as we talk to Ray Flores about UFC Fight Night. That's next on UTH. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with 
Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Glad that you're with me here. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Tales from the Hood. You never know what you get from Tales. Stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Tonight, a special Tales from the Hood because we go to our uh, mixed martial arts, our uh, boxing, our pro wrestling, our combat sports expert, Ray Flores. You can find him on ESPN and Fox. And he joins me here on ESPN 1000 as we get ready for UFC Fight Night taking place on Saturday Ray, as always, I appreciate your time. Jonathan, a very good evening to you, my friend. Hope all is well with you, your family, and your listeners. Always a pleasure, my man. Well, first and foremost, my friend, I will ask you about the the sports that you cover, boxing, uh, Mm -hmm. as far as uh, UFC, and also pro wrestling. Okay, so what Mm -hmm. we've seen here since the pandemic is we are seeing all of these three um, sports, sports slash entertainment, uh, with no fans. How do you think it's gone so far with boxing, wrestling, and UFC with no fans from a television standpoint? From a television standpoint, Jonathan, I think it has gone as well as you could think during the midst of a global pandemic. There have been issues when it comes to you know, people testing positive. There have been main events that have fallen out on the boxing side. But you know, we are moving forward to ensure the safety of the fighters. But I think that the level of competition and the level of fights inside the ring and the octagon and sports entertainment, I think has been very, very good. There's a reason why these guys are at this world-class level, and I think we're seeing it. I mean, it's different. Your, your mindset changes a little bit when it comes to not hearing the roar of the crowd or everything else, but all of these athletes, I commend them for performing at this elite level. All right, but you can tell the truth. Actually, some of the prelim cards that you've called, usually there's nobody in the stands anyway, so, it, so well, you'd be at, right I mean, at home, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's the thing is that, you know, I, I was talking to Robert Guerrero a couple of days ago, and it's like, well, for me, because I have to get to the arena early. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's almost like a, a 2 o'clock fight in Vegas, but that's how it's going to be like for the whole card. So it's like, for me, it's not much of a difference because I'm there all day anyway. So not having fans in the arenas is like, oh, well, okay. I mean, I've been announcing fights in front of two people or, you know, 20,000 people. So for me and some of us, some of the other fighters, it makes no difference. So when it comes to to the UFC, we've talked about Dana White actually being, he's the forerunner for this. He's the thing, he's the guy who started this, Ray, as far as having a live sporting event during this COVID-19. Do you believe that they should still be run up and running because there's going to be a fight on Saturday? Um, and we're talking about Fight Island coming up very soon. Mm-hmm. Do you still believe it's safe? Well, here's the thing. They are, uh, when it comes to Fight Island, they have uh, sort of amped up their testing methods. What I've seen that when you get to Fight Island, which is in Abu Dhabi, they are going to have five tests that you are going to have to take. So before you even jump on the plane, you need to take a COVID test. When you land, you have to take a COVID test. You're going to have to take five COVID tests over the course of your time there. I know that Top Rank has amended their procedures when it comes to testing fighters. I know from a PBC standpoint, the company I work for with FS1 and Fox and Showtime, they are trying to you know, make sure that 
testing is is done in a more efficient and better fashion. So uh, with the NBA coming back at the end of July, Major League Baseball, I, I think as long as we are being safe about it and having proper protocol, I'm okay with it. And I think we need to resume to somewhat of everyday life, whatever that may be in the midst of all this. Ray Flores with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. I will tell you this. You know what, Ray? I never thought I would say this, but I think that Dana White is onto something, and Vince McMahon is the one that's behind the times. I know you've seen the stories of the last 24 to 48 hours. The WWE is, they've been really horrible with this. It's one thing to have wrestling and you're testing people uh, with the uh, thermometer test, but they're not doing their due diligence to the point where there are some wrestlers and some personnel that have COVID-19. There are stories out there that Vince does not want to have uh, family and friends with masks. If you're going to come into Orlando to their performance center, you can't wear a mask. I mean, that, that's just, to me, that's just nonsense. And then you come to find out that from the AEW standpoint in Jacksonville, their heavyweight champion, John Moxley, might have been exposed to his wife, um, who has COVID-19, who's recovering from it, right? Yes, absolutely. Renee Young, who is, uh, you know, formerly used to work with WWE backstage on FS1, you know, she has COVID-19. And the fact that, you know, I assume he goes back home, you know, to his residence and then goes, you know, flies to Jacksonville where the tapings are happening. Uh, you know, sports entertainment needs to really take a nice look in the mirror and and realize that they need to have active testing. If you're going to put your performers in this position to go out and perform and keep your television contracts, you have to do proper testing. That's what the UFC has done. That's what boxing is doing. And it's just so important, Jonathan, because you're really putting others at risk. And even though these guys are independent contractors from a sports entertainment standpoint, you still have to look for the overall your company. And the person that I look first and foremost are the heads of the company, Vince McMahon with the WWE, Tony Khan, who is the son of the, um, the Jacksonville Jaguars owner and the Fulham FC out in the English Premier League. They really have to stand up and say, look, we are billionaires. Don't be cheap and invest in testing. It's safety first. And what I'm seeing from sports entertainment, it's not safety first. It's entertainment, then the safety part of it. It should not be that way in any walk of life right now. I just I can't I, I just can't see the WWE just continuing to be it's one thing to be in Orlando. It's another thing to just have the referee not have a mask on, not have and again, this is just about being cautious that's all it is no one is trying to you know take away your freedoms and take away your your flag and all this nonsense that's not what it's about it's just about making sure that you're safe and that the person around you is safe the the referee in this top uh, ranked boxing uh bout that we're seeing he's got gloves and a mask on i mean i mean that's just making sure that he's safe and and you're not even getting that with the wwe or AEW in that regard I mean, they are literally going back, as they like to say, Steve Mongo McMichael used to talk about. It. He goes, we're going back to the carny days. I mean, what are these guys, carnival acts that we don't care about them? You know, these men and women, give me a break. Pro wrestling needs to really step up to the plate and say enough is enough. I mean, and the networks, I think, need to put pressure on these companies to do so because essentially, Jonathan, they are literally saying, okay, go out and perform. We don't care about your health, about you or your family or anyone else that you might expose. It's honestly, Jonathan, quite disgusting to me. So let me get your thoughts on UFC fight night. Poirier against Hooker. 
Uh, that is on the top of the card. So is this more of a contender's bout, or do you th- think that this is going to be pretty significant between these two on fight night? This is a great fight, Jonathan. This is a fight that, you know, when I rub my hands together and say this is so appetizing, you have Dustin Poirier, who's coming off a loss at the hands of Khabib Nurmagomedov back in September, uh, but he has, you know, Poirier has really done an exceptional job having finished off Justin Gaethje, he beat Anthony Pettis, you know, he's won three or four. Dan Hooker is in the midst of a win streak as well from New Zealand, hitting his stride. This is going to be an absolute battle, Jonathan. Dan Hooker finally feels he can get over the hump. He believes that a victory over Dustin Poirier will get him a title shot down the line. Dustin Poirier is the guy who has been counted out many times during the course of his career, had a loss to Conor McGregor way back when, has bounced back. And look, at we talked about it a little while ago, a couple months ago with you, uh, when Justin Gaethje was victorious and smashed Tony Ferguson. Well, Dustin Poirier smashed Justin Gaethje. So Poirier and Hooker, this is going to be an absolute savage affair. Buckle up, my friend, because I think this could very well be the fight of the year when it comes Mm to MMA thus far. I think it's that good on paper. Poirier is minus 220 and Hooker's plus 180 if you're looking to bet on that fight. Also, some of the undercard that uh, raised my eyebrow, Mike Perry uh, against Mickey Gall. How do you see that fight? Jonathan, this is an interesting fight because Mike Perry, I would have to say, kind of has some Dennis Rodman-like qualities about him. And how is that? Well, because he he's very unorthodox. Mike Perry doesn't like training at a uh, specific gym for a long period of time. You know how, like, you know, you have uh, Dustin Poirier, you train for the American top team, you know, John Jones with, with the, the Jackson Winkle John team. You know, Mike Perry, his only corner person is going to be his new girlfriend. And he goes, why do I need a coach? I know what I have to do. I'm going to bring my girlfriend in, and she's going to corner me. Uh, this guy likes to stand and trade he is, you know, 11 of his 13 victories have come by way of stoppage, taken on Mickey Gome, who, as you know, defeated CM Punk, you know, a long time ago in the octagon. This is a matchup between a striker against a jiu-jitsu practitioner and Mickey Gall. Mike Perry's going to come forward, try to knock your head off. If Mickey Gall is successful, he needs to get this fight to the ground and try to tie up Mike Perry and not in order to get the victory. It's a classic striker versus grappler matchup. Anything else that stands out about this card that you're looking forward to? Well, a fight that has some Chicago ties to it. Maurice Green, the Pirates, against John Vellante. So Maurice Green's lost two in a row. Uh, Maurice Green from Chicago, he needs a victory in order to stay within the UFC ranks. He's been with the UFC for about a year and a half, so he needs the win. But here's the thing about this fight, Jonathan. John Vellante is going up from light heavyweight to the heavyweight division. And Maurice Green is a guy who is a big, tough, you know, 245-pound-plus heavyweight. Even if he comes in, Volante, 220, he's still going to be giving up 25 pounds. Maurice Green needs to get this fight to the ground, use his ground and pound, and usher in Volante to the fact that, look, you should have stayed at 205 because now that you're dealing with the big boys, this is where the big boys play you need to go back down to 205 because, you know, it's a different world up here. But 
if Alante stays on his toes, boxes well, stays away from the takedowns, he could be successful and make it rather difficult for Maurice Green to catch him. Very interesting fight. That one has my eye without a doubt. Don't forget to follow Ray on Instagram at SBR for Sweet Baby Ray, SBR Flores on uh, on Twitter as well as Instagram. My friend, we're looking forward to uh, the big fight that's going to take place on Saturday. And also we're keeping our eyes on top-ranked boxing as well. I'll tell you what, during this pandemic, boxing get a lot of shine. A lot of young fighters are trying to learn uh, two, three times a week. We're seeing boxing now, so that's uh, positive for the sport as well. No question about it, Jonathan. Always a pleasure. And I'll tell you what, during this time period, Jonathan, we've seen a lot of upsets in boxing as boxing has returned back to the forefront. So in the times with no fans, everything else, anything is possible. So I've seen big favorites go down, underdogs rise above. So who knows what's going to happen. But you know what? It's all settled in the ring or the octagon, and we're all better for it. My friend, thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. Have a great one, Jonathan. Take care. It is Ray Flores, our uh, combat sports expert, does a great job breaking down boxing and MMA, a little pro wrestling there for you as well during this pandemic. Uh, and still, these sports are still going on, and hopefully they will go on for the long haul as long as everyone is safe. Uh, we'll hear from Jesse Rogers on Major League Baseball coming up at 9 as you're listening to UTH. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Segregated sports that we know of today in 2020, and it's been going on for a long time, is NASCAR. It's been going on for a long time where the Confederate flag has been waving and there are... Some that are not comfortable going to the racetrack. But Bubba Wallace is the only black driver of note in NASCAR, and he's someone who wanted change. And I know that change is very difficult for some people. Some people are just so um, comfortable in their own skin, comfortable in their own ways that they grew up around, that they don't want to be flexible. They don't want to be able to see something different, something that is more inclusive. They're fine with the, the life that they're living. And so Steve Phelps is the NASCAR president. And, of course, he had to speak out on the stories uh, around the noose that was in uh, the garage of Bubba Wallace. It was a big story. And many people jumped out and said, hey, you know what? Why is there a noose hanging up in Bubba Wallace's um, garage? And the FBI made uh, their investigation known that the... A noose was tied in 2019. This was not connection, connected to a hate crime to Bubba Wallace. And boy, that's a good sign for NASCAR because NASCAR dodges a bullet. If that was connected to Bubba Wallace, that would have set NASCAR back even further than what it is right now. Bubba Wallace is trying to make uh, the sport more progressive. And that is not a, a political term. That's just trying to be more progressive, trying to be more inclusive, trying to get more people under the tent. The sport needs to, to grow. It's, this sport is Southern, and there's nothing wrong with the South. My family's from the South. But the point is, is that, thank goodness that you had a Jeff Gordon uh, that came from California to try to make the sport more of just a Southern sport, but a sport that can be enjoyed from coast to coast. 
And also, when you have Bubba Wallace in this spot, Bubba Wallace is someone that wants to bring African-Americans and Latinos and Asian-Americans and so many others under, under the tent trying to expand the sport. I see nothing wrong with that, but some do. So as the FBI made their investigation, they come to find out that the uh, noose was not intended for Bubba Wallace. Some thoughts from Steve Phelps, the NASCAR president, says that Bubba and the team did nothing wrong. Bubba Wallace and the 43 team had nothing to do with this. Bubba Wallace has done nothing but represent this sport with courage, class, and dignity. It is offensive seeing anyone suggest otherwise, and frankly, it's further evidence of how far we still need to go as a society. Also says, was there too much emotion in the initial statement that Steve Phelps made to Bubba Wallace and his team regarding the noose? I think, you know, I'll go back to the, the emotion of the of the moment and, you know, I'll take responsibility for that. And should we have, you know, toned that message down slightly? Maybe we should have. Um, and I'll and I'll take responsibility for that. Um, you know, I, um, I think it's a, you know, I, I stand by the actions that we took. Um, and I think they were the right ones. And as I said before, given the evidence that we had, we would do the, we would do the same thing. We would investigate it the same way. Um, if it comes to where we need to craft a statement differently um, and I need to take a little less emotion out of it, that's something I'll do. I'll take responsibility for that. Thoughts there from Steve Phillips, the NASCAR president, uh, regarding his initial statement. The thing is, is that when you're Steve Phelps and you see someone like that is uh, like Bubba Wallace, you want to make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And when there's a noose and it, it involves uh, a black driver, a black driver that says Black Lives Matter and someone that wants to bring more people to the sport, yeah, you want to be able to do your due diligence to make sure that whatever that noose was for, you want to make sure that it's investigated. And um, so Phelps went to Bubba Wallace and told him about it. And, and the thing that will be lost uh, in the narrative of all this, because, you know, people are not in the facts. The facts are is that Bubba Wallace had nothing to do with that noose. It was not like it, this is far, so far from Jesse Smollett. It's not even funny. Smollett wanted to make sure that um, people in Chicago or the police were implicated in that situation and shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been because he's a jerk. The guy was trying to make this city some kind of city where there would actually be a noose and somebody being able to be tied up with a noose around his neck and all that. I mean, it was just completely made up. He's a goof. So he tried to make the police look bad and made uh, other people look bad. But this is totally different because Bubba Wallace had nothing to do with this. He was told about it. The NASCAR investigated it. The FBI investigated it. And now we move forward. I'm just glad that the noose was not for Bubba Wallace, according to the investigation. Imagine what NASCAR would look like then as they try to clean up their act and try to be more inclusive. In two minutes, we're going to hear from Jesse Rogers with his thoughts on the Cubs and Major League Baseball. DH or no DH universally? We'll find out next right here on UTH.